Okay, here we are. Episode number four, right? I think it's four. Number four. Number four. Howdy, howdy. Uh, my name is Corey. I'm the worship pastor. I'm here with our lead pastor, Matthew Price. Welcome to our After Sunday podcast. Uh, and today we are focusing on, um, well, we've been in this series uh, in the Old Testament, and, and yesterday we looked at, on Sunday, um, we looked at Exodus uh, 17, uh, which was the story of Moses and the Amalekites, and uh, a really encouraging uh, sermon and encouraging story about um, about how God rescues the Israelites using um, Moses, who was holding up his staff in the air, and he gets friends around him to help him. And anyways, it's it's a really really cool story. I think one of the things that that we landed on a little bit, you landed on, and we're going to expound expound expand on today a little bit is this idea of of violence in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. That's sort of the maybe yeah. the elephant in the room and. Um, I know that, uh, you know, you were, you were telling me earlier that there's like 37 instances in the Old Testament where, uh, we have this command or the Israelites have this command to slaughter their enemies. And often that command is from God, which is like a troubling thing. I remember I was, I was telling you, Matthew, like growing up, this is probably the topic for me that was, that has always been probably the most troubling, maybe the most embarrassing as a Christian where I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't. I think I don't know how to answer that problem. I would have friends that aren't Christians, and I have had friends that would say, like, well, didn't your God, like, didn't he often tell people, like, to go and kill, you know, like, destroy cities and destroy, including, like, women right. and children, innocent people? And I and I remember, like, I just didn't really have an answer. I never really, again, growing up, there were answers that were given, and I didn't really, I was never satisfied with any of them. And that was, so it's always been a troubling, a troubling topic, and I think it totally. it is for many, many people today. So... We're so glad, Matthew, that you're going to answer this problem today. This is going to be so good. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, Matthew, let's uh, let's jump in. Let's talk about violence in the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and you know, I this this idea of these podcasts kind of came out of Corey and I um, often having these kind of conversations, right? Like after a sermon or before yeah, yeah. a sermon, and. And so um, this is actually one that has come up throughout the years in terms mm-hmm. of how to under, how to read the Old Testament and. One, one encouraging thing is that we're going to dive into how to read the Bible in the fall, like as a church. And so that'll be fun to kind of ask some deeper questions on how do we read, how do we read the law, the Torah? Mm. How do we read, you know, historical narratives? How do we read apocalyptic literature? And so anyway, I'm, I'm excited about, about getting into that in the fall, but yeah, you, you preaching through Exodus and all of a sudden there's this destroy the Amalekites mm-hmm. passage and it's like, oh, it, um, definitely rubs me the wrong way, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And so I just want to make a couple caveats, a few caveats before we jump in. Number one, I'm not an expert on this. Um, the, some of the authors that I've read on this are Ron Sider, William Lane Craig, Paul Copen, Ravi Zacharias, um, and Douglas Stewart. Uh, he's an Old Testament professor from uh, Gordon Conwell. Anyway, so those are some of the names of some people that I've been reading on this, but there are many other great authors who've written on this before. Um, also, I just the second thing I want to say is that these are these are arguments that have personally helped me. Hmm. Like there, yeah, yeah. there, there may be points out there that that I'm not going to use today that might be helpful to others, uh, which is awesome. But these are ideas that have helped me personally. And the third thing I want to say was I really want to be humble about this, like. Mm-hmm. Like we are not going to solve this issue today and there remains a tension here. And, um, hopefully that's not discouraging as you're just starting to listen to the podcast, (laughs) but I feel like there's just a humility that I have to walk with recognizing that this is a question that has been asked for Hmm. 
for thousands of years, right? right. And yeah. and so I want to be humble, but finally, I do want to say I really do think that we should feel weird about this. And I said this on Sunday, but I really feel like it should make us question, ask some questions when we read mm-hmm. a passage like that. Um, we're Jesus followers, and if he is Emmanuel, God with us, um, then we know in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He is literally the image of a God we can't see. So I'm like, what is God like? I look at Jesus. Yeah. And when I look at Jesus, he's loving his enemies. He's forgiving his enemies. He's turning the other cheek. Um, he's a peacemaker. Um, and, and he's the image of the invisible God. So God must be a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And so, when unless God changes, which we would say, no, we don't believe. We that. would say God doesn't change. Yeah, God doesn't change. Yeah. So yeah. So then, so then I feel like I've painted myself into a corner, right? Like right. when I read an, a, a passage like this, mm-hmm. um, and so, so, and I also want to say it's not just that Jesus, like that in Jesus we find something. Uh, like a uh, different than the slaughtering of the Amalekites or God, God commanding the slaughter of a people. It, it actually feels like it's sometimes a tension even with the old Testament. So like you mm. have a story of like Jonah, Jonah's called to go to the Assyrians, to Nineveh mm-hmm. to preach repentance because God wants the Assyrians to repent. Right. Like that's like that, that would have been earth shattering to the Jewish people. They're like, we don't want the Assyrians to repent. We want them to be slaughtered. Right, yeah. But God not only cares about the Assyrians, but like at the end of Jonah, he cares about like the livestock in the city. Like mm. that's how the, that's how the book of Jonah ends. God's like, shouldn't I care for all these people and their livestock? <laughs> that's Period. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind this, of how the book ends. This right? is why dogs matter, Matthew, right? We've talked <laughs> about this before. Yeah. <laughs> Corey will bring it around to dogs. Um, yeah, so so I'm just like, it. so it, not only I feel like it, it there's a conflict with Jesus, but it feels like a conflict with this heart of God for the nations, hmm. you know, even mm-hmm. in, in uh, the Old Testament, because the promise to Abraham was that all these nations would come to know Yahweh through his family line, right? right. So God has a heart for other nations. And we see other nations like Hittites and Moabites, like part of Jesus, Jesus lineage. And so, yeah, so there's a conflict. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Way to go. That's great. I mean, it feels like, it's funny, we kind of, I just realized we didn't do, normally we do the whole light talk thing. We're just not even bothering. We're just going no for it talk. this time. Yeah, forget that, man. Forget it. We're just going straight in. No I don't even cares. care what you've been watching. I don't care <laughs> right. what you've been reading. It's good. Yeah, nothing great anyway, so it's all good. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, this is really good. I think like, uh, yeah, it's it's super, I really appreciate the, even just the way you spelled it out because I think that's, I think that seems to be, at least for me, that's been the big issue, right? If Jesus is God, Incarnate, if Jesus is um, the the visible image of the invisible God, and God doesn't change, yeah, then then what do we do? What do we do with these commands? Where it's where God is saying, "Go and do this," right? And right, and Jesus is saying, "No, I'm going to tell you. Here's you know, you pray for those who persecute you, and you love your enemies, and you know, and yeah, yeah, really good. Okay, okay, all right, here let's we go. Hear it. We'll hear, hear the answers. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Give me the answers. Uh, I've been okay. waiting years for this. Oh. Yeah, we, here we go. No, so I actually want to make the problem harder, really, just because if somebody's wondering, like, okay, is it that 
problematic, and I'm sure you guys don't need these examples, but I'll just use the example from yesterday and then I'll throw in another example. So here is Exodus 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So at war against the Amalekites. And then, uh, this is a complicated one. So this one, this next one involves Joshua with the conquest of uh, the promised land, and they've got to get past Jericho, the city of Jericho. And so this is a very famous, this is probably the most famous story uh, of this kind of um, violence that God commands, but it's from Joshua chapter six. So Joshua six, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, that's the wall of Jericho. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Hmm. If you're wondering that if the donkeys were <laughs> spared, you know, the donkeys. I was worried about the donkeys, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Those are just two examples. There are many, as you said, 37 examples of this in the Old Testament. So I just wanted to give a little yeah, flavor yeah. for what we're dealing with. So. Okay, so the first thing, I thought I would share an unhelpful point. <laughs> Good. Those are the best points. <laughs> okay, so an unhelpful point. Uh, an unhelpful point. I, I just, I don't find this argument helpful, this, this next one that I want to say here. There is an argument that says this. Okay, Matthew, you really don't know how awful these ancient mm. peoples were, mm-hmm. right? When yeah. Israel encountered these people, I mean, you should hear about how bad they were. And so the argument... Is, is goes like this. If you knew the filth of these nations, the worship of the demonic idols, the taboo sexual acts, the child sacrifice, etc., you'd see how important it was for God to rid the earth of these people. Hmm. Now, there's actually some scriptural backing to this. So in Deuteronomy 9, um, God says this to Israel. He says, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity. So he's speaking to Israel, mm-hmm. right? That you're going in to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. So there really is something here to wrestle with, mm-hmm. right? Like, is God just kind of doing what he did with the flood, right? Like, right. I'm just going to obliterate purging. people, purging all these people, and you just don't know how wicked they were. Right. All right. Um, now these nations were involved in a lot of things that we would say are pretty awful. Um, and I do, I do think God wanted to establish his people, uh, who worship his name there in the land and to follow him. And I do think he wanted to have a good example of what it looks like to love Yahweh so that the nations would stream to Jerusalem. So while I do think that's a thing, um, I'm not convinced by this argument because we're always in the scriptures seeing the way God's love and mercy are, is poured out on sinners. So I just gave the example of Jonah, right? Like God, like the Assyrians were awful. Mm-hmm. Like they would, Corey, oh. this is not my notes here, but okay. they would literally skin people alive oh, and, terrible. and hang the skins of humans. Like, we're going to have to put like a parental guidance, parental oh, sorry. warning thing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so, parental advisory. I'm, sure, I'm, sure I'm sure we have a lot of toddlers listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> after Sunday fans. Right. My six-year-old loves your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we could make onesies, like print little onesies, after <laughs> oh. Sunday podcast onesies. Oh, I see. Okay. I was thinking the skinning alive one, and I was like, oh, yeah. I know. Gross. <laughs> that, see, I just took it way too far. Okay. Oh, that's terrible. 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 Yeah. So, so I just feel like we're always seeing God's love and mercy poured out on sinners. So 
arguing that I just, okay, Matthew, you just don't get how foul and dark and bleak and messed up these people are. I just feel like personally that doesn't really line up with God being slow to anger and abounding in love, mm-hmm. which is the w- message we get in, in the Old Testament. So we're all sinners. We're all mm-hmm. in need of mercy. Um, and it doesn't really account for the children that are killed. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, why the children? Like the children seem to be innocent babies, you know, and barely aware of life. So I would personally never use that argument. So I just would, that's not helpful to me. So it's not helpful for me to hear it. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't really share it. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, maybe in a little bit more humorous example, but it's like the way there are TV shows that are like button pushing shows Hmm, where they make you really like, like they make you really, you can't wait for the moment the good guy beats up the bad guy. Right. So the show has to show all these really bad moments with the bad guy. Yeah. So that when like Jack Bauer or Jack Ryan or Chuck Norris comes in. (laughs) You're dating yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Chuck Chuck Norris. Who's Chuck Norris? Yeah, yeah. But right, the movie director wants me to feel really good at the end of the movie when the good guy's just like pummeling the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So he has to like make the bad guy's resume really bad gotcha so yeah, that right, i right. like so that i so that i justify the violence and to me that director is pushing my butt like he's actually right. button pushing it's a bit of a straw man almost kind of thing right yeah 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 so i don't know yeah totally totally doesn't help sure. me no I, I agree with you you've heard that argument May? oh i was gonna say that was and i didn't say it but i was gonna say that that was one of the arguments that i that I, that I would hear when people would talk about, um, this, this issue. And so I would be like that. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, you have no idea how bad they were, but I, same thing with you. I'd be like, well, okay, maybe, but like, I can't imagine, let's say Jericho. It's like, so really like all the children were equal, were, were just as bad that like the women, the children, like it's fine. It, it makes, you know, you could, maybe you could understand if it was like a, it was like an army, let's say, and they were right. all, you know, it's like, okay, all right, well, let's, that's a different conversation. But when you're talking about, yeah, women and children and, and, and like even honestly, like even animals and like things that have no, that would have no involvement in any of these terrible, you know, atrocities that they've been accused of it. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really ring true for me. So I, yeah, right. I would have the same, same kind of response by the way, a little funny. Can I tell you a really cute little story that yeah. makes me think about this? This yeah. is, it, it is lined up with this. When I, when Max was young, our middle child, he was, I think I maybe told you the story, but I, I remember telling him the story of David and Goliath. Yeah, that's I tell right. you the story. That's yeah, right. so I told it's so cute. Him. And uh, so yeah, I told him the story, and you know, David kills Goliath, and um, anyways, and then it's all quiet, and then Max, <laughs> Max looks up at me, and he's like, "Do you think Goliath's mom was sad?" Oh, I know, and I'm like, so sweet. I'm like, well, I think she was probably a barbarian, and she probably didn't care at all. <laughs> Just kidding. I was like, I don't think like I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, uh, anyways, yeah, so. That's a different, uh, different. Yeah, screen. it's Max is asking a good question. Like, right. yeah, yeah, it's true. Totally. She That's was probably tough. really proud of her son. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. So, all right. So here's one that actually helps me. Um, so I was Paul Copen uh, actually makes this made this argument, and many other people make the argument. I was helped by, you know, the Bible Project, uh, Tim Mackey, that crew makes this argument. And so it's really important. So this is a really big one for me, like how we read the Bible. Um, Do we read it literally or do we read it literarily? Um, So I don't want to just, you know, frighten all my conservative friends out there, but (laughs) uh, this is a conservative stance. This is not like a liberal stance on how to read scripture. This is actually very I would argue very conservative. It's yeah. we're trying to actually treat 
God's word with the respect that it's due. And so when I read 66 books, those 66 books are written in different genres of literature, and I have to take that into account. And within those genres of literature, so you have like historical narrative, you have gospel, you have wisdom, you have poetry, you have apocalyptic, you have all this stuff. And then you have like ways of writing scripture within different ways of writing scripture within its own book. So, so like Jesus, for example, so this is a gospel, so like the book of Matthew is a gospel, but yet within mm-hmm. the gospel, there's like a parable. So the parable right, is its right. own unique style of literature within a style of literature, right? right? Yeah. And, uh, and so there is an important uh, literary device or a way of speaking, which is called hyperbole. <clears throat> right. And hyperbole, <clears throat> so sorry, is used in the Bible. Hyperbole, just the definition, is that it's exaggerated statements not intended to be taken literally um, to, to, make a, to make a larger point. So right. like if I like win a basketball game and I'm like, we totally slaughtered those guys. It's like, well, actually you won like maybe 80 to <laughs> 80 to 60. Like yeah, you yeah. beat them by 20 points. Yeah, right. But that's like a modern way of using hyperbole. Mm-hmm. You didn't slaughter them actually in very few senses of the use of that word. That's not actually accurate. Right. Um, now I know that that can make some of us faithful Bible readers nervous, but mm-hmm. I do think it's important to understand it is something that not only is found in the scriptures, it would have been found in the ancient Near East. It's how people talked about, it's how you told your war story, right? Right, right. And so there's like a famous stone, it's called the Merneptah stone, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, around 1200 BC, this, this stone was made um, about some pharaoh uh, who went and fought against Israel. And then in an inscription, it says, Israel is wasted, its seed is no more. Hmm. Right? Well, well, that's not, that's completely untrue. Right? right? Yeah. Like that's, Israel kept be, being a nation, right? And, totally. and, and so that's, that's just not true. It's, it's hyperbole. And we actually have examples of this from the Bible. So if someone's listening to this podcast going, this sounds a little dangerous, like I just want to say it it is used in the Bible and not only by biblical authors, but by God himself. So mm-hmm. I just want to give some examples. You guys can, if, you, if you're listening to this, you can just jot this down with a pencil. But in Joshua chapter 11, here's one example. We hear that the Anakites were totally wiped out. But then three chapters later in Joshua 14, Caleb is talking about the Anakites that he's dealing with, mm, right? Mm, so it's right. like, well, what does that mean? We're totally wiped out. Yeah. Another example is the Amalekites, n- n- not in the story that we just dealt with on Sunday, but a different one. So in 1 Samuel 15, we hear that Saul attacks the Amalekites and he, t- he takes a- Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword, totally destroyed with a mm. sword. 15 chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, it says, now the Amalekites had raided the Negev, dot, mm, dot, dot. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, exactly. hmm. I thought you just said they were totally destroyed, right? Right, right. Again, this is hyperbole. It's not totally destroyed. It's just saying we won. Right, yeah. This is an ancient Near Eastern way of saying we totally won. Yes. You know, uh, I'll give you another example. Joshua 10, uh, 36 to 39, we're told that no Canaanite survived. None, hmm. Right. In Joshua 15, five chapters later, all these Canaanite people are still there. Right. Right. So it's just, it's one of those things. Now we could still say, okay, maybe there's some details we don't know about the story, but I would like to give you an example of how God uses hyperbole. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So Jeremiah chapter 25, this is God speaking. Okay. 
And he's saying this to Judah, like his own people, right. the tribe of Judah. He's saying, I will completely destroy them with everlasting ruin and lay waste the towns of Judah so that no one can live in them. Hmm. Clearly hyperbole. Right. Because Jesus comes from the line of Judah. <laughs> That's right. Right? Like, right, right, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is when I read the Bible literarily, I'm a careful reader of the text. I go, okay, this is actually an ancient way of saying they were totally taken care of. It may not mean that all women and children, everything that had breath was actually dead, yeah. but it means that we won the victory. We right. won the battle and whatever power they had has been subdued so that Yahweh is victorious. So mm -hmm. it's not, I don't think it takes away at all the power of the text and the fact that Yahweh was victorious. And again, yeah. we still have questions about violence and stuff. This isn't answering everything. Yeah. But I would like to say, I think it's one piece in understanding how the Bible is written is that we just deal with this hyperbole piece. Um, it's common in war texts and was common even in how God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. So Yeah, 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 right. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I love that and it makes total sense to me. I think I can imagine, as can you, I'm sure, some some people immediately, like you said, kind of being like, ooh, like that feels like a slippery slope, right? That feels like so so I can just kind of use that where it's convenient for me. Like, so if I don't like, let's say, you know, this story, I can just be like, well, maybe it's hyperbole, so I don't need to worry. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure that's that's sort of the, right. the argument, right? And so, I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. How how do you respond to someone like that who who is worried? You know, maybe genuinely um, worried about the fact that, it's like, well, then is it all just relative to you know what looks to me like an exaggeration? So I don't need to worry about it. Or I think it requires careful reading of the text, and it re I think it requires you to slow down and to be like a really good student of scripture and mm -hmm. to really pay attention to literary devices that you're not probably familiar with, hmm, right? Right. I think we have this assumption that we can just sit down, like we can order a Big Mac at McDonald's and it's just served to us immediately and we just devour it and it all is just perfect, yeah, right? Everything it's, is what, what it looks like, yeah. It's like, boom, it's what it looks like, done, I can just understand it. And it's hmm. like, well, that's actually not true. Like the Bible is actually... It's absolutely beautiful. It's God's word and it takes time to understand it. Hmm. And like, you know, when you read a parable of Jesus, that's a parable. It didn't actually happen in history. Like, the, like if I asked you, did the prodigal son actually happen? Right. That's <clears throat> not the point. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. You know, was every living creature killed? Everything that has breath. That's not the main point. The, right, the point right. was that, that Israel won a battle, right? Yeah. Um, is it necessary that every baby died and that all the donkeys died? It's not necessary. It's a figure of speech. Right. So I, I would say slow down, be careful as you read the text, immerse yourself in trying to understand how to read the Bible in that way. And I think it, I'm not troubled by it. And I just want to let anyone, if they're feeling nervous about this, just know this is a conservative way of reading scripture. Like mm -hmm. it really is. Like yeah. you'll find wonderful conservative scholars who are saying, this is how you have to read it literarily. Yeah. And what role, uh, sorry, I, I know we're going to move on here yeah. quickly too. I, I know, I remember again, another experience I had a, a friend, <clears throat> excuse me, once say to me, or I remember asking him, Hey, so what are you reading these days? And I remember he said like, you know, to be honest, I'm just trying to read the Bible. Like I'm only reading the Bible right now. I'm not reading anything else. And, 
And the way that he said it, there was a bit more of a context to it. I remember part of me being like, you know, I wish I actually want you to read some good scholars on the Bible. Like I want, mm. I don't know if I trust you, if I'm honest, <laughs> to read, yeah. just read the Bible. So maybe my question to you is, do you have some go-to authors that you trust to help you, like with some of this, some of this nuance, right? Some of the yeah. tension here, like who are some go-to authors that you would recommend to people to say, hey, if you want to, you know, maybe like said an NT right, let's say, or yeah. like, uh, yeah, who would you, yeah. who would you recommend? So I would just recommend if people pick up the NT right for everyone series. Yeah. For it's everyone, very, yeah. it's, it's a devotional series and he, he in the new Testament and then a guy named John Golden Gay for the old Testament, you can go to any passage of scripture. So they, it's called the for everyone series. So you can get Romans for everyone or hmm. first and second Corinthians for everyone or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Exodus and Leviticus for everyone. That's it. So they're devotional thoughts, but they give you just enough of some context to help you. And I would just say like, if you wanted to summit Everest, you could just put your backpack on and try. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> or you could kind of go, a whole bunch of people have summited Everest before. And there's actually like paid Sherpas. Like you can pay a Sherpa. There's <laughs> actually, right. and they know the, tra- they've been up, they've been up there before. Yeah. They've, 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 they've worked that trail. Now they're not, God, right. as it were. Yeah. Sorry, I'm mixing the metaphor here. But like, but they, but they're people who have spent years studying this stuff, yeah. and you can you can trust them. And so, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, John Golden Gay in the Old Testament, John Walton in the Old Testament, um, Douglas Stewart in the Old Testament. But then I'd say in the New Testament, N.T. Wright for sure. I would also encourage um, people to to uh, to engage with the Bible Project. So Tim yeah, Mackey. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. Tim Mackey is excellent. So you can go to the Bible Project. Uh, dot com. They've got lots of videos and he's got a podcast where he works through some of this stuff. So hmm. I would really recommend Tim Mackey's material. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. That's great. Cool. All right. So next point really quick. Um, is I, I do think that this is this is a little bit harder, uh, but Israel is a theocracy. And I said a little bit about this yesterday. This is not massively helpful, but it, it allows me to understand that we're in a, diff, a bit of a different context. So a theocracy, this is when God is king, and it's a very unique situation. God is dealing with Israel in a unique way as a covenant people in a way he doesn't deal with any political reality today. Some people like to say like, you know, I know there's a lots of like in the country I grew up, like, you know, this idea of like, oh, it's kind of like the United States is like kind of God's modern Israel. And right, right, he's right. kind of like, you know, the USA is like God's chosen people with yeah. whatever. And, and it just feels like it's like it's, that's just not true. Like mm. God is not dealing with Canada the way he dealt with Israel. He's not dealing with any country, Russia, the way he's dealing with Israel. Right. He's not dealing with. And so this is a unique time in history and and right now Jesus has established a kingdom of peacemakers right so we're we're just in a it's this theocracy in the old testament is unique and when we think about the unique way he dealt with them um he actually gave them some rules for war and these are not again these are not they don't scratch the itch fully mm-hmm. but god actually in a theocracy gives some rules and and if anyone wants to look this up they can go to Deuteronomy 20 there's some interesting rules for war that he gives them. So there's not actually, he doesn't want them to have a standing army. It means all Israel's battles were fought by amateurs, hmm. volunteers, 
right? They, it means they can't boast in your own accomplishments. Um, a, a soldier was allowed and actually invited for any reason whatsoever not to fight. Hmm. And we actually have a couple instances of this in the Old Testament. It's like, hey, are you working on your home? Feel free to head home and keep painting your home, you know? <laughs> hey, is your wife pregnant? Go ahead and just go go take care of her. Like, there's all these... Inst- and like, if you think of like the Gideon moment, it's like God keeps dwindling the army down. Yeah, 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 right, right. Like, so there's all... so. Uh, there's also payment for soldiers um, was not really permitted. Um, The volunteer army really shouldn't seek out personal reward or financial compensation for having fought in the military. They were, they were supposed to just respond to a call. Again, this is not, (laughs) it's still, it's still troubling if God is commanding war, but I'm just saying there, there are these, you know, you can't take spoil or plunder um, uh, from, from, uh, a soldier can't kind of keep anything and just carry it off. There's a couple instances where I think they could, but as a general rule, you're not supposed to take plunder. And uh, and it's interesting that you can only fight for the promised land. Uh, so like when David tries to build an empire and, and he, he tries to take a census in preparation for wars that would be required to extend the empire beyond the promised land, um, he's, he's actually punished severely. So in 2 Samuel 24, he's punished. So, hmm. okay. So all I'm saying is theocracy is interesting. So it makes an apple and an oranges. Like it's a unique time in history. So that, first of all, makes me, if I'm going to use how God dealt with Israel to how God is going to deal with how a U.S. president uses his military Mm -hmm. or our prime minister uses the military, not good. Right. And there are these unique ways of fighting that no other army in this time would have fought, which is little bit helpful. (laughs) And then, um, and then along with that, it does seem like some of these battles were military posts. Now this is, this borders on weak argument, but I just want to say, um, Joshua Ryan Butler in his book, the skeletons in God's closet says that the cities Israel takes out are actually more like military strongholds not civilian population centers. So when, when Israel quote, utterly destroys a city like Jericho, we should picture a military fort being taken, not a civilian massacre. God is pulling down, as it were, the great wall of China, not demolishing Beijing. Hmm. Um, Israel's attack is, is taking out the Pentagon, but not New York city or Washington DC. Right. So that's kind of the parallel. Um, and, uh, and then a guy named Andy Patton says uh, that John Walton in his The Lost World of the Israelite Conquest argues that the point of in Israel's invasion was more like dismantling the community of which the Canaanites were part of rather than ending their lives. So it could, it could be compared to what the Allies set out to do during World War II. They were on a mission to end the Nazi regime, but that didn't mean they had to kill every German. Right. So... So that sometimes when you see this obliteration of Jericho, it's like that could have been a military outpost. So I know this was kind of like a three in one, but it's like, okay, it's a unique theocracy. Mm-hmm. There are rules to war that other nations didn't use. And it seems like they were fighting military outposts more so than civilian places. Hmm. And so if you add hyperbole on top of that, yeah, it, I guess what I'm saying is it, it, this could still make me stay awake at night, but it, it does make me go, hmm, I think there's a lot going on here that I don't, <laughs> I think there's a lot going on here that if I was there uh, and if these scholars are right, 
I'd be going, oh, this is just total apples and oranges. Like, I just have to really think differently. Mm, okay, right, do right. any of those scratch an itch or are they, <laughs> Corey, be well, honest? They, no, it, you're right. Like, it, it does, maybe it lightens the load a little bit, right? Like, okay. it, it's, you're right. I think that the bigger, it, it definitely, it feels like there's still the bigger issue, right, of God, right. you know, commanding, go in there and slaughter people. That feels, you know, that does feel, it feels like it's hard still to reconcile that with, with the person of Jesus, you know, that we apparently see God in. So the bigger picture, so like, I think like you're saying, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but it does kind of, it's like, okay, that's actually, that's good to know. It would, it would, yeah, how do you say it? If It would feel a lot worse to say if, like for me to say, well, God is saying, no, no, go ahead and, and kill women and children and kill, like, innocent, doesn't matter, innocent or guilty, like you just destroy them. That is like, that just feels like, oh, I can't, I, I don't know what to do with that at all. If God is saying, you know, fight this other army. This is a, this is a, an outpost. Or this is like a, you know, this is a, um, this is made up only of other warriors. Go to battle with them. You know, it's it's like okay, that it feels somehow more palatable. Not necessarily that it solves the problem, but it, you know what I mean. It's like a different degree of yeah of troubling. And I feel <laughs> the same way. It, it's like, well, you still asked Israel to go fight their enemies, and that means killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound like turn the other cheek. Doesn't. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Unless, yeah. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot one. One of the other things they're supposed to do is they're always supposed to make an offer of peace. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't solve an issue, but... No, no. These are things that people don't... Like, if you read, like, I don't know, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, it's just like, God orders genocide. But I, I just feel like if you listen, if, you, if you're a careful reader of the text, I'm like, well... Okay, you offer peace. You don't have a standing military. You're, you, you're the use of hyperbole. You're attack, attacking these more military centers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't answer the question, but it gives me something to. It gives. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I hear you, Corey. This next one might be uh, one that I don't know how you're going to react to this. Oh one. boy, I I am I'm already on edge. I have two more points to make, <laughs> and this one I'm not sure you're going to like. But okay, okay. I'm pausing. (laughs) I noticed noticed that. I think we're all waiting with bated breath. Okay. God Mm -hmm. is the creator. Oh, boy. Okay, now hold on. Is this a Calvinist? uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay, here's here's what I'm saying. I am not allowed to take your life. That's true. Because I did not make you. Oh, boy. Hold on. Uh, Okay. I did not create you. (laughs) I did not form you. I don't know the day you're going to die. I have no authority in your life. Right. Yeah. Right. So I really, I am helped by the point that God is the author of life. And when God gives, takes, changes, <laughs> redirects any life, when he does anything, he's, he's the artist and we're the pottery, we're the canvas, we're the art, we're the we're the storyline. So he's he's in charge. Mm-hmm. So I actually, when we use a human category of like sin, it would be sin for me to kill another person. But is it sin for God to say, okay, today is the is the end of your life, right? Well, I would say no. Because God is not he, me. <laughs> like God's not me. Like God, God gives life. God can take life. 
And so like, we, you know, we talk about wars and battles, but like, what about, what about a dad of small children who dies when he's 40? I'm just using myself as an example. Mm -hmm. Like if I were to die this year, yeah, it's like, well, God, you know, whether he purposed it, he definitely allowed me to die mm -hmm. as a 40 yeah. year old. And I would like to be with my children for the next, you know? And so he, but he has that authority. He didn't, he's not like, I can't look at God and go, or like if, if I were to die, Corey can't look at God and be like, well, you murdered Matthew. I mean, you could in your grief, right, you could right. express that. Hopefully you'd grieve. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it would, it would bother me. <laughs> for a little bit. Okay. Of course. If I, I wasn't around anymore. Yeah, that's terrible. But I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I, he's the creator and mm -hmm. I'm not. And William Lane Craig writes this. He says, I have no right to take an innocent life for me to do so would be murder. But God has no such prohibition. He can give and take life as he chooses. We all recognize this when we accuse some authority who presumes to take life as, quote unquote, playing God. Human authorities um, arrogate to themselves. Is that how I say that? Mm. Rights which belong only to God. God is under no obligation whatsoever to extend my life for another second. If he wants to strike me dead right now, that's his prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So Corey. Mm -hmm. Yes. God gives life. God can take away life. He's in a different category than me. So if he wanted to take, um, lives, I, by the way, everyone, I warned Corey that there would be some points that he wouldn't like on this one. <laughs> this might be one it's of them. A... Um, but, but just like if he wanted to take life, um, then is he really, can he be accused of, of being like a murderer, right? right? When he's like, well, I, I made them. Right. Okay. So I'm sure it's funny as you say this, I'm sure there are, depending on how many people are listening and who's listening, there are people that are like, well, yeah, like what's, of course, like we, we read it all over the place in the old Testament, right? This clearly is what God does, not taking into account what we've already talked about. Um, and I know that, so I guess, sorry, and I'm like my, the mystery for me, there's a mystery there, I think, but we are talking like there, that's, that is different to me. Clearly God allows, um, people to die. Like that's, you know, we all know that, right. Unless we don't think that God has power. Like we believe that I believe that God does and is able to, is able to act and to move miraculously and, and, and save that person's life that, that died. Mm -hmm. Right. So he allows, he allows it to happen to me. That's different than than God sanctioning or commanding an army to go and destroy innocent people or even, or any, and so there's a few questions to it. Cause I'm like, well, the, it's, it still doesn't solve our bigger problem. Like we're talking about a consistency in the character of God and we're told to look at Jesus when we to see what God looks like. So for me, when I look at Jesus, I don't see, I don't see, um, I don't see that same, what I struggle with is that when I, when I, I look at Jesus, then I look in the Old Testament stories and I hear about, it's like this God saying, go and destroy everyone and everything. Don't leave anyone alive or anything alive. I do have trouble reconciling that. I have trouble looking at that and saying, so how, yeah, that I, at the very least, I need to sit in tension with that. So to me, it's oh, different, yeah. right? And I, I remember reading a book by David Bentley Hart, and I know you're a huge fan of his, just joking. He's an Eastern Orthodox theologian. Um, because I was really troubled with someone had, someone had talked about the tsunami, the, remember the uh, Indian Ocean, the, the massive mm -hmm. tsunami that killed so many people. And someone had said, basically, like, 
this was all for God's glory. Like in the end, it was it was a very I forget who there was a, some some evangelical preachers that were saying this is part of God's glory. We don't understand it, but you know. And I remember him, he was quoting Dostoevsky or, or at least referring to his book, um, Brothers Karamazov, and he was just saying, you know, if if it if an atheist says to us, like, I could never worship a God who somehow needs the death of an innocent child, it was this other conversation, that somehow needs the death of an innocent child to be glorified. Like I couldn't worship a God that that needed to be glorified in that way. And David Bentley Hart's response was like, as Christians, we should say, yeah, we agree. We wouldn't either. Like we would, we would have a lot of trouble worshiping a God who demanded that a child, you know, suffer. It was that, like it was actually a longer story. The child mm-hmm. suffered and died. It was this terrible story in, in Dostoevsky's novel where this child had, you know, again not to be too over the top, but child had had died. Right, his parents had been abusive, and the child had died. And the argument was that well, this was all somehow this was all part of God's glory. God required this for His glory, and right. which sounds, I mean, again, it sounds quite terrible. So he was just, his point was like, yeah, I think, I think we all know in our bones mm-hmm. as image bearing, um, children of God, right? God made us in his image. There's something of God in us. I think we know in our bones, there's something wrong with that. And I think, so I, what I'm not saying at all is I'm not saying that somehow when people die, it's like, well, I'm not saying that God, there's a mystery to how that all works. God clearly allows it, but there's a, a huge difference to me, at least between that and God commanding someone to go and kill like you know or let's say let's say the really obvious one Jericho god commanding that army to go and destroy and kill and don't leave anyone alive um to me those are are quite different yeah okay no i see that i mean i i totally get that just so you know i totally hear what you're saying too like i think for me the it's like a it's like a it's a very unique time in history where god is king over an, a people in a particular plot of land operating in a particular way. And he makes it, they don't, they, they're not victorious. If they want to go kill someone, it has to be like, he's like, this is, you're moving into this area. You're moving into this area. Like he's guiding this. Hmm. So I'm saying when it comes from God, um, I guess I'm saying like the potter and the clay, he's got the right to do that. But like, let's say King David doesn't have the right to randomly go, I want to go kill those people. That's not your, you can't choose that. And then every soldier, you have to follow what God is asking you to do. But I'm saying we don't live in that moment anymore. Like Mm -hmm. our King has come and our King is Jesus. And Jesus has asked us to go into the world to share the good news of the gospel and to be peacemakers, right? Yeah. So this is just a unique moment in history, a very an apple and we're living with an orange, right? Like it's a completely different scenario, unique in time. So uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) We can move to another one. It is a, well, it's a tension. Yeah. It's like, it's a tension. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, All right. I, because I, I feel like life yeah. is different than a piece of art. Like I, I get the potter and the clay and I actually, it was funny because I was like, I hope Matthew's not going to use the potter and the clay argument. <laughs> and you went and, <laughs> and did I it. did. I did, did it. it. <laughs> like, I feel like it's different than, yeah. it's like, it's like, and maybe again, we, this is a modern example. You could, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't allow a dog owner to abuse his dog that he owns. But he didn't make the dog. True. Totally. You're right. I, I know. And it's, it falls short. But I'm, I'm just saying there are things, I guess, life, there's something about life that is, well, and again, scripturally, 
life is holy, right? Like life is, is sacred and God has, God has put something of himself. We're image bearing. Like there's, there's something about that that feels like when you take, when you step away from the potter and the clay analogy or the, you know, the, the artist and his art, you know, um, then suddenly it's like, oh, we're talking about like human life here. We're talking about God breathed like life. So that's anyway. So I'm just saying there's, it's, when you step away from sort of metaphor, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's suddenly it's like, okay, wait. Anyways, but if God yeah. were to take me today, he's no less good. But right. one could argue he murdered me today. He killed me today. Like you could right. say that about God. But I, I don't think you, I, I would see, I would, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, no, he didn't. What are you talking about? No, he didn't kill Matthew. Like Matthew died because of this, right? Or Matthew died because of that. God did not kill Matthew. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I just, I think God would be, God took me. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny, way of even saying when it. The, the Sandy Hook tragedy, I remember Obama, right. President Obama saying, you know, um, God called them home too soon. And I remember being like, I don't know. I'm not sure that, that that's actually accurate. Right. I don't know. Again, I know these are, these are sort of existential philosophical questions, right? Like, yeah. did God call them home or was this just a terrible terrible act right and the sandy hook thing brings in a a third category which is sin yes right, right. like evil. I, i'm yeah, more yeah. talking about like you know a car accident today mm-hmm. like if or if mm-hmm. i fell off a cliff or yes whatever yeah. right. you know something like that like that's more what i meant um but yeah human sin uh totally all right well we've confused everyone okay <laughs> but uh i've How saved the best for last okay so I if it's, anyone's still listening i just want to let you know this is a this is an important one for me okay and I think you'll enjoy this one. Oh, <laughs> and I said a little bit about it on Sunday, but I really feel like the only, my final point is this. I only feel like this is weird because of Jesus. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So like God destroying my enemy, I think that's just the way evolution works. I think it's the way humans work. I think it's just the way, it's the way my heart works <laughs> when I'm having a bad day. I want, I, I don't want my enemy around. Right. I want them toast. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know what I mean? So if we look at this and go, oh, the Amalekites destroyed, like, I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that, like I, I only feel like this is weird. And I think most people who aren't Christians in our world only feel like it's weird because they've been breathing in the fumes of a Jesus-loving culture for 2,000 years, right? Mm. Like, Western culture has followed Jesus. So things like turning their cheek or loving your neighbor, or loving your enemy or being a peacemaker, those have, those are part of just the world we now live in and I think they're unique to Jesus. Like I think and so what I guess what I'm saying is so Rabbi Zacharias was helpful here. He says like my moral framework comes from the Bible and when I look at the Old Testament, I only bristle because of Jesus. Hmm. So, so, okay, again, this doesn't solve anything, but like, and not only Jesus too, like the Imago Dei in Genesis 1, I'm made in the image of God, Genesis 1, um, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, Jesus, bless are the peacemakers, Jesus. So I would say to someone who's not following Jesus, I would ask, why do you believe this killing of the Amalekites is so wrong, right? Right. Are we not in survival of the fittest? This makes sense. Hmm. Because in a purely philosophical evolutionary standpoint, like there is no real right or wrong. So why is this wrong? Um, 
it's because of Jesus that I believe in the sanctity of life. So in his book, River Out of Eden, uh, Oxford scientist Richard Dawkins says this. He says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Hmm. That's what he says, right? Hmm. So moral categories of evil and good don't exist. But I find it ironic that Dawkins is the one who accuses you know, Christians of like that this is a, that God is a moral monster, quote right, unquote, right, so yeah. Paul Copen's book. Um, but I'm saying who cares if the Amalekites are killed? Like an atheist should have no trouble with this technically because there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference as right. Dawkins says it. So I would argue there's only a conflict here because of Jesus. Right. So in our Western secular world, if you feel a conflict if it weren't for Jesus and his radical message of loving your enemy, I don't think there's a conflict here. So I use this quote on Sunday, but I want to use it again. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Mm-hmm. So the That's straight cool. the straight line is Jesus. Right. So I only noticed that the slaughter of the Amalekites or the Canaanites is crooked because I'm like, whoa, 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 look at Jesus. Right. Yeah. So I, I, think, what I'm try- I think what I'm trying to get at is I love God's word. And when there is a conflict like this, I do continue to go, oh, I, I'm only weirded out by that because of the moral teachings, teachings of Jesus. Hmm. And Jesus was steeped in the Old Testament and called the Old Testament um, God's word and truth. Yeah. And in Timothy, we see that God's word is is uh, uh, active and useful uh, and uh, inspired. And so we're like, so I guess what I'm saying is uh, at the end of the day, I have been gifted a moral framework from the scriptures and most people don't talk about the fact that the only real conflict with the killing of the Canaanites and Amalekites comes from having breathed in Jesus ethics. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. Like, but what do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think in some ways it almost, in some ways it almost solves another problem. Like is what it does to okay. me. Like to me, it's like, I think, because I think it, yeah, like you, and like you said, it's, it doesn't necessarily solve this particular problem because we still have the issue of how does this, how does this work? How would God do this? You know, but you're totally like, I think it's like, and maybe, maybe the answer is like, at the end of the day, we're so thankful for Jesus. And we look to Jesus when we don't know, like, I think that's been, for me, that's been my, my saving grace in all this is to be like, you know, I don't know, but I, I look to Jesus at the end of the day, I look to Jesus and I see if this is what God is like, then I'm like, I'm so thankful. I'm so able to give him my heart and to For trust sure. that he's shaping me. You know what I mean? But yeah. it doesn't necessarily solve the, the problem. But I think even, I think it's a great point of when we see violent things. Yeah. Like and C.S. Lewis talked about that, right? Like at the beginning of mere Christianity saying we have this curious idea that there's right and wrong. Yeah. And we have, and then we all do wrong things. Right. <laughs> that's the other thing. We know right. what's right and wrong. And somehow we just keep doing that's sort of his basis to start the yeah. argument for God through Jesus in Jesus. Right. And totally. I, so for me, if I were to give the, uh, where this fits within everything for me, it's like building blocks. I mm. would say I didn't actually do it in this order, but I'd say God is creator. You know, 
he's got the right to give and take away life. Yep. Then he also dealt with Israel in a unique way, a way in which he's not dealing with anyone today. So it's a unique way in a theocracy. He gives limits to war. Um, it seems like these are kind of military stations. Then the use of hyperbole. And then on top of all of that, I only think it's weird because of God's word, because mm. of scripture. So to me, that's how I, that's how I kind of build it in yes, my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and, and all of that allows me to take God's word seriously and to not throw out the old Testament, but it does make me, um, appreciative of, of the ethics that I find in Jesus Mm -hmm. who, again, so it's still a mystery, right? Yep. Totally. As we're kind of concluding, it's still a mystery. Um, and, uh, if someone wants to, to do some fun homework here at the end in Isaiah 61, um, Jesus rolls out a scroll, right? And he says uh, in Isaiah 61, he talks about um, uh, that the Lord has anointed him to bring freedom to, to the captives and release his sight to the blind. Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah yeah, yeah. 61. And, uh, and he leaves out at the very end a day of vengeance for mm-hmm. the day of vengeance for our God, right? What's the passage where he, this is in, uh, is it Luke, Matthew? Luke 4. It's Luke 4. Okay, Luke 4, yeah. Yeah, in Luke 4. And... Um, I'll just bring it up here. Uh, but he says that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, and, and it's actually interesting because, um, in Isaiah 61, he, he leads, he leaves out the final, the final line, um, uh, which is, which is actually uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. Jesus leaves that out. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm shaped by him and I stick with him. And um, he is, at the end of the day, I see him. He is the new, he is the new Joshua who leads yeah. us into a new land. And the enemy is the enemy of our soul, the thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, and I have to just keep, trusting him. And I think the last thing I just wanted to say was, um, actually, before I say the last thing, I want to leave people with this last thought, but it just, it, Corey, any, want to poke holes in some of this stuff or just? No, you, feel- you know, what? I don't, I think I was saying to you earlier, I do feel like what I, what I actually appreciate about you and about even these conversations is that I think, um, there's a, there's a, someone had written this, I think there's a book called the myth of certainty. And, yeah. uh, but it's like, that's, that actually is a really great, to me, it's been a helpful phrase because, I think it's almost like what we're discovering here as we argue, as we dialogue, as we converse about this, because it's like, we don't totally know. And we, we actually probably won't fully know until we're face to face with Jesus. And, but it's, but it's okay. Right. And it's, and we do know that we know who our King is and we know what he's like because we see it. And I love that. I think it's such a provocative, like what you just talked about there, him quoting Isaiah, except for leaving out the last part. I'm like, Oh, that feels so like kind of tingly, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so what's, what's that about? And, but but so to me, I'm just like, no, I think it's great. I think like living in a bit of tension and living with the mystery of, of some of these stories, I think there's lots to be talked about, but I know I appreciate it. And I think it's like, we don't need to be certain on everything. We don't need to always know every answer, right? We, yeah. we have the big rocks in place and we know who our King is. We know who Jesus is. And, yeah. but so no, I think, I think it's awesome. Well, and the, the, one of the images that I, that I have here is of just like mountain climbing, like, mm. It's not all easy, but these are little holds like that my hands and feet can yeah. go into to try to keep climbing, mm-hmm. but they're not, 
it's not easy. It's not like I'm running like a very flat path. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, almost right. just like, oh, this, this helps me a little bit. But I want to end with just those words um, after Jesus says like a really hard thing uh, in, in John, in the book of John, um, where he talks about that he's the bread of life and that his followers are to eat his flesh and drink right. his blood. It's mm. a really hard passage. And then a bunch of his disciples leave him. Hmm. and he looks at them in almost this vulnerable moment and goes, are you going to leave me too? Hmm. And they go, where else would we go? Because you yeah. have the words of life. Totally. And I'd like to end it there only because I, that's how I've always felt about Jesus. Um, even though you could say, look at the violence in the Old Testament, it's not worth, it's just, you know, it's so hypocritical. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, but where else would you go? Hmm. Like in Jesus, we have the words of life. And... Um, I, I trust him. And so, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that. All right. Okay, man. Hey this everybody. Is, this was a heavy one. It's a heavy this one. It's big. It's, uh, well, we'll see how, we'll see how long, hopefully it's not too long here, but, <laughs> um, thanks Matthew and yeah. everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, yeah. you have yourselves a great rest of the week. We love you. Yes, um, we do. Yeah. And we miss you. Miss seeing you on Sunday mornings. I really miss, I really miss seeing people in the, I mean, we, we see like six or seven people in yep. the worship center, but I miss yep. our, our, our community. So yeah, love you guys. Take care. God bless yeah. you. Love you guys. Peace. Yeah.